What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. That was, <laughs> like, like, there's this list <laughs> of consequences of tomatoes. <laughs> it's true. I, yeah, I, like I am pro-tomato consequence. Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. I'm glad it's you. Welcome to Recotopia, episode 71. Holy cow, that's a lot of episodes. I'm Jeremy Scott, and my co-host today is... I'm Aaron Dicer. Aaron Dicer, and we are going to talk about... Yeah, you were faster uh, faster on the, on the pickup. Uh, Road to Perdition is our big recommend today. I want to say a quick hello to everybody in the chat. Uh, appreciate you coming out every show, but especially on days like today when we are recording and broadcasting on a different day than normal. Mm -hmm. uh, and those of you that juggled your schedule to be here with us, it really means a lot. Uh, I'm excited to get into the big recommend, but as always, we're going to start with some small recommends. Aaron, did you bring any small recommends to the show today? Oh, did I? <laughs> it's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Uh, I want to talk about Black Mirror. A uh, new season just dropped. It mm. is one of my favorite things that we're still getting new Black Mirror uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, this show has consistently been the best anthology series ever. It, you know, the, I cannot think of another anthology series where every episode is completely distinct. Now, there mm. have been partially anthology series where it's very episodic, but there's a little through line. But this is a complete anthology series, and it's phenomenal, uh, and it keeps, uh, keeps going on. And the other reason is technology continues to change. And, you know, if you don't know, Black Mirror is a reference to electronic devices. Your cell phone, when it is off, becomes a Black Mirror. Mm. Uh, and that's that's the idea of uh, how technology is impacting the world around us, uh, those kind of things. Um, and so each little story, when I say little, they can run from like 50 minutes to an hour 20. Like they're, they're kind of somewhere between short film and feature length film. Uh, and I'm not trying to get into the is it a, a movie or a TV debate uh, uh, here at all, but I will say that it feels like, it, you know, these complete stories kind of have their own place in your life. So you walk through a season of Black Mirror and you have your favorites, just like you would walk through a, a year of movies and have your favorites, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm always uh, impressed. They're not all home runs, but enough of them are that it's kind of amazing. Uh, so I think they're all on netflix every season hmm. um netflix kind of has it now and the new ones dropped on netflix all at once uh the first one joan is dead is one of the best uh pieces of visual thing whatever you want to call it that i've seen in a long long time it is so fun so thought-provoking uh this series is wonderful and i'm glad it's back interesting i have never seen a black mirror episode and i feel like it would be my jam oh my goodness so much um, yeah because i love a good high concept sci-fi you know anything even when it's bad um and for some reason i just i haven't i haven't pushed the button on that one yet um but well when you, know. you do i look forward to how it will own your life for a while uh, because it, I, I i agree with you i think this is like right in your wheelhouse um and uh and it's nice because as anthology as it is you can watch one or two of them and not feel like oh i gotta watch the next one or i'm not gonna be able to sleep like you know right. you can kind of build it into your 
viewing habits really, really easily. So um, I'd recommend going in order just because I'm that kind of person, mm-hmm. but you don't have to, you know, yeah. you could start and watch the ones from this season. I just like seeing the growth of the stories and also the growth of technology and how prescient some of the older ones are. And man, this, this the, the Jonah's Dead episode, the first episode of this new season could not be more of the moment. It is so, uh, so wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Huge recommend. Yeah. That is a big recommend. Uh, I think I keep saying Joan is dead. It's Joan is awful. I should be clear. The, the name of the episode awful is dead. Joan is awful. Yes, yeah, it's uh, awful dead. <laughs> um, I'm going to hit you after that with a food recommendation, a recipe, folks, as I have become known for on this show and in life in general. And this is <laughs> a tomato sandwich. And it's so simple. My wife did not believe me. Uh, when we were in the store two days ago buying the ingredients to make this uh, yesterday. Uh, we made it a week ago, week and a half ago. It, it was, I stumbled on it through Reddit. Reddit really is kind of a gateway to a lot of things that end mm-hmm. up in my life. Um, and a- ended up on a video of this guy making a, in quotes, the tomato. And that's the sandwich that he had heard was really famous. Uh, uh, so I followed his recipe. We used sourdough. I think he used regular bread. You, you butter the bread, you put it in a skillet so that it gets kind of like, you know, the outside of a grilled cheese, right? Then you pull it off, flip it over, mayonnaise the crap out of the inside of that bread. All right? You guys are going to love this. Then you sprinkle sunflower seeds all over the mayonnaise, all over. Don't be hesitant with the sunflower seeds, all right? Then you take your tomatoes, specifically heirloom tomatoes, if you can find them. Uh, if, if not, any, any variety of beefsteak, big juicy tomato will work. Slice them thick, like maybe a half inch, and lay that on your bread. Salt and pepper. Grind your salt and pepper all over that, everybody. And here's where the, the coup de grace comes in. A handful. You want a handful of fresh dill. And it's okay to eat the dill stems. Uh, they actually have flavor and they're not bad for you. And then you want a handful of basil leaves. Fresh. And you pile those on top of the tomato. Then you put a lemon, squeeze it, lemon juice all over the whole sandwich, other piece of bread, go to town. I hate tomatoes, like straight. I like ketchup. I like tomato sauce. I like a lot of things tomatoes lead to. But just eating a tomato itself is not really something I enjoy. I don't like them on sandwiches. I don't like them in salads. Uh, And this was easy to eat because it was so flavorful. It's really that tomato, dill, basil, lemon juice that really makes that bang kind of pop flavor. I've never had anything quite like that. And my wife almost three days later was like, we got to make that again. And she says it's the best thing we've ever made. So that is my tomato sandwich recipe. The picture, if you're watching live or watching uh, later on video, that is a literal picture of the tomato sandwich that I made uh, that I've just described to you. And uh, it's really, really tasty, really healthy. It's a great summer dish. So there you go. My the tomato recipe that I stole off the internet. My favorite quote of that uh, entire review of the sandwich was, I like the things tomatoes lead to. That was (laughs) like like there's this list of consequences of tomatoes. (laughs) It's true. I I am pro tomato consequence. (laughs) Oh, yes. I don't like them in their native form, but I Mm -hmm. like the disruption that they produce. Yeah, correct. Correct. Uh, You have a second small recommend this week, sir. Sure, absolutely. Got a chance to see the new Pixar movie, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, Elemental. Um, and uh, I, of course, love Pixar. This is not a secret. Uh, but I, one of the things that made me fall in love with Pixar is how original and interesting and thought-provoking their stories are. And it makes me very, very happy that they haven't lost that. Yes, they do more sequels when they started. uh, In fact, they said they didn't want to do sequels and then they did a sequel for their third movie. So like it was very, it was pretty quickly. They were like, oh yeah, you know, financially it makes a lot of sense to do some sequels every once in a while. Their sequels (laughs) by and large have been pretty good. Um, but their original stuff is why I fell in love with them. So anytime there's a, there's an original Pixar, uh, I'm always excited. I really like this movie. I don't want to give a lot away. Um, it is about a world where the elements represent at least ethnicity, if not race, at least culture, if not race. Now that metaphor gets, uh, can get a little bit messy as any discussion or philosophic, you know, pondering about, uh, racial issues and those kind of things can. 
but I think it works really, really well. And so it follows this, um, this fire being who immigra uh, immigrates to a city that's not unlike New York City, but it was built by the, the water people, right? So it's very, I, th I think in, in my review, I used the phrase wet privilege. You know, there's, <laughs> you, can, you can tell, <laughs> you can tell that everything is built for water people. So what's it like to be a fire person coming to a world that was built for water people? And it kind of explores that in a lot of really interesting and clever, funny and emotional ways. Um, uh, this is, this is great tier Pixar. I don't know that it's transcendent tier Pixar, mm. like where you think of those movies that just like are the some of the best movies of all time, but it's definitely great tier Pixar and I think uh, uh, worth a watch. So, interesting, yeah. interesting. Now, I am not surprised that you liked a Pixar sure. movie, um, but I have always appreciated your ability to see more of what's going on than I think the average film viewer would sure. in terms of themes and symbolism and stuff like that uh, and, and how that helps you appreciate a film that maybe doesn't get straight across the board A-plus reviews. Uh, I, as with most Pixar movies, I will eventually watch this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's an interesting discussion where I think it was Pete Doctor was quoted a couple days ago in an interview as saying that the studio has trained people to not come out to the theater for these movies because of the way they did streaming in the pandemic. Um, and I think that's a really fascinating conversation to have that we don't have time for today. But did you see that interview? Do you have any thoughts on that? I didn't see that interview. Uh, I am I am well aware that that has been something going on there for a while to know that Pete Doctor is saying it, who basically runs Pixar now. Like he's, right. the, he's the guy in charge over there right now. Um, that says something interesting to me, like the, that they're willing to voice, you know, the disappointment of how the, we've trained audiences. I don't think it's just a Pixar thing. I think when well, you look when you look at the receipts of The Flash this weekend or, you know, whatever movie, all the superhero movies are underperforming. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm, I'll just I'll watch it on Disney Plus in two months. Right. Like, Everybody's it, like, is there superhero fatigue? And there very well may be. But I mean, sure. I have I have gone to the movie theater twice since the pandemic twice and both times was a controlled environment or no no three times where no one else was going to be in there except people handpicked people that i knew mm -hmm. because i don't have to like you said i can wait a couple months some in some instances i wait two weeks it's on I vod a lot of times yeah vod to watch is it like, at home yeah that's a game changer for a guy like me with social anxiety and hearing issues um so i mean i just think I'm not alone, and uh, I think that's a fascinating uh, conversation uh, that somebody mm -hmm. out there should create a podcast and talk about that. <laughs> sure. um, my uh, second small recommend is a 1998 film called Primary Colors. Now, if you were not uh, paying attention to the pop culture or the news in the mid-90s, and the internet was a babe, so uh, there was no social media um, but there was a book that came out called Primary Colors about behind the scenes of the Bill Clinton presidential campaign, and it was written by Anonymous. We now know who it was, but it was a big deal, a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. Who wrote this book? Are these things true? Is Bill, Bill Clinton the womanizer? We kind of already thought he was. Um, and then after all the dust settled, they picked it up, optioned it fictionalized everybody and made it into a movie that I think is really insightful. Travolta is playing your Clinton stand-in. Emma Thompson is playing the Hillary stand-in. Kathy Bates steals the movie as a political consultant who literally believes her beliefs and doesn't just want to game the system and win. There's a brilliant scene where she's scolding uh, the Clintons, uh, the Stantons, they're called in this movie. And she's saying, you know, we used to we used to say if we run on our ideas, we win because our ideas are better. Uh, we don't have to lie and cheat and steal. Um, Billy Bob Thornton is in this movie. Adrian Lester is the main character. We're seeing almost all of this through his eyes. Uh, it's just a really, really biting. It still plays. It still plays today. Um, satire of media, of politics, uh, campaigning. Uh, and how quick people are to gloss over things that have been done to them for a little bit of money. Um, 
it says a lot about humanity, this movie. Anyway, it's an 81 on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it doesn't look like it's streaming anywhere for free right now. Uh, I own it. That's how I was able to see it again recently. But primary colors, keep an eye out for it. If you've never seen it, I think it's really good. Very nice. Um, have you seen that movie? Uh, yes, I have seen Primary Colors. It has been a while. Um, I remember really enjoying it. I, I remember thinking the satire was really tight. Um, yeah. And so it, you know... Uh, I, it it had a very clear voice in my memory, uh, yeah. and so I enjoyed it. And Travolta's, you know, Travolta for me has always been yay or nay. Like, there's almost no mm -hmm. middle ground. He's either Broken Arrow, I don't want anything to do with that, or he's Pulp Fiction, I'm all in. And this is another one where I think he's really, really hitting it. Um, yeah. All right. It's now time for this week's Big Recommend. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so... Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. And this week, we're going to talk about Road to Perdition, a movie that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, a movie that did not perform very well at the box. Performed well, uh, but did not perform as well as expected, given the cast and the street cred, because you've got Sam Mendes coming off American Beauty, uh, and he lands Paul Newman, Tom Hanks, Daniel Craig, and Jude Law for this movie. Uh, and it just is largely lost to time. And it's very frustrating to me, because I think it is a masterpiece. Uh, it's based on a graphic novel, which I'm showing those of you who are watching the video right nice. now that I own. Uh, it's a thick one, uh, but it reads pretty quick, because as you can see, it's pretty small. Uh, there are shots in this movie ripped straight out of that graphic novel. Um, and for people who are fans of the graphic novel, that's always fun. Um, <clears throat> this movie opens in uh, northern Illinois. I would say we're in a suburb of Chicago, but it's 1931 and suburbs aren't quite really a thing. So we're just in a town outside Chicago. Paul Newman is John Rooney. He's the local mob boss the boss of this family but he still reports to capone in chicago as i guess most of the mob mafia outfits did back then and mike sullivan tom hanks is basically his i don't know what you would call him um guy yeah he's not his guy man. in the chair he's, he's like his guy with the gun <laughs> yeah guy with the gun uh guy that gets stuff done uh and as we'll see over time kind of a surrogate son um uh, mike sullivan is married to uh jennifer jason lee who is largely wasted in this movie but any person cast in that role would probably be largely wasted that character um, is completely wasted i can't yeah. i couldn't believe it was jennifer jason lee yeah. I was like, you ruined my Hudsucker proxy reunion. Like, yeah, we had exactly. Paul Newman and Jennifer Jason Lee. What did she see on the page that made her go, I really yeah. want to play this character? I have to believe there was some cutting that happened. Have to, have to, after the fact. Especially when we get to it, like, maybe more about what Michael sees and what, why Rooney is stopping by the house and some conflict maybe in the marriage there. Um, but anyway, they have two kids, Michael and Peter, um, and uh, they live a idyllic life as much as you can when you work for the mafia um and and hanks mike doesn't really say much of anything at all to his family about his job um when he is asked about it he says things like uh well mr rooney uh loves us and and took us in when we had nowhere to go um and gave us a life things like that it's very vague uh because you wouldn't say to your son well i kill people for him when they don't pay him <laughs> enough money um and this is kind of against type uh, especially at the time for hanks he's played a few villains if you will since then um but this is kind of the first true bad guy that he's played um and uh boy he nails it the first big scene we go to a wake um, one of the underling mafia guys has died. 
uh, and Michael, uh, Mike takes his whole family, his wife and his two kids, uh, and everyone is here. And I think it's fascinating how this scene plays. There's no fear of mafia stuff in this scene, but for one moment, but this is a family. This feels like a family reunion. Uh, and, and Newman's character, John Rooney, you know, calls the two children to him, the Sullivan kids. And I got business with these men and they go play dice. Um, and uh, he appears to be like a loving grandfather, uh, to these kids. At some point in the wake, uh, the deceased's brother, uh, who I believe is it's Kyrian Hines, not Syrian Hines, as I used to call it, uh, starts to give a speech, but he's drunk. Uh, and after talking about his brother, he veers into what could be a bad speech about his boss who's standing right there. You rule this town with an iron fist. And Mike Sullivan and uh, <clears throat> John's son, Connor, uh, realize, oh, this is going to be bad. And they pull the, guy, the drunk guy out take him out to the car. He says some more stuff he'll regret. Uh, and they send him on his way. And Mike says to John Rooney, I'll, I'll talk to him. Or actually, Connor says, I'll talk to him. And he says, take Mike with you. He's like, I can handle. He's like, take Mike with you. And so there's obvious tension here. Uh, there's even a great moment after this where John sits at the piano and starts playing. And then Mike comes over and sits next to him. And they play this lovely duet that makes everyone smile and feel joy until you see Connor in the back of the room watching with some of the best facial expression jealousy I've seen in a long time. He wants the relationship with his father that Mike has, but it's clear that his impulsiveness and his behavior uh, has led to the reason why he does not have that relationship. So Connor and Mike get in the car to go have words with Kieran Hines and make sure everything is settled. Uh, and Michael, the young child, um, well, he stows away in the car. And all of the tragedy that follows in this movie can come back to this moment. And I think he's curious because boys are curious, but he's also curious because his dad explicitly will not tell him anything about his job. He so, wants to know who his dad is. Exactly. Like he just wants to know who his dad is. Exactly. And that's so, the whole point of the movie, right? Like, yeah. is like, who is my dad? Is he good? Is he bad? What kind of person is he? You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the whole movie's about fathers and sons, and we'll get a little bit more into that as we go. Uh, but then uh, in the brief uh, discussion, if you will, that we see, uh, Kieran Hines is saying, my brother never stole anything from your dad. Um, and that will come back later because we're going to find out who actually was stealing from uh, John Rooney. Um, and Connor, it was Connor, uh, pretty quickly <laughs> then uh, shoots him in the head. And uh, Michael sees this and um, that kid's going to be in trauma for the rest of his life for more than this, but for that moment alone. Um, but because he gasps or doesn't leave quickly enough, uh, Connor spots somebody outside. They run outside. Mike realizes it's his son. Um, and he says, you'll never say a word about this to anyone, which is probably not the best way to handle the situation at the outset. And yet Mike knows why that has to be what he says first. Because mm -hmm. Connor immediately says, can we trust him? And Mike says, he's my son. So <clears throat> that's that for the evening. But the next day, Mr. Rooney comes to visit which is played as not common. And even uh, Michael's, Mike's wife is like, what's he doing here? And Mike's like, ah, Michael was in the car last night, saw some stuff. And, um, and it's, it's kind of ominous, this scene. Even Michael, the young boy, it seems to be wary. Like, why are you here just after what happened last night? And he rides his bike off to school uh, where he gets in a big fight, which is, of course, one of the ways that young boys deal with trauma in their life uh, is to get in fights with other young boys at school. Um, and uh, talking with Mike, John says, expressing pity for Michael, imagine seeing that at that age. And then the key lines, well, you turned out. Meaning that Mike probably had a very similar experience right. at a young age. Um, and again, you know, we're back to talking about generational trauma being passed down, uh, which is going to, for now, become the summer theme of Recotopia. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, so uh, Mike attends a mob meeting 
where finances are being hotly debated. And then uh, Paul Newman, you know, John asks his son Connor to apologize. Um, but Connor screws it up because he's Connor. And uh, John humiliates him in front of the whole group uh, before the meeting is over, uh, <clears throat> further driving a wedge. And so they discuss a guy who's late, several guys who are late. Mike says, give me the names. I'll go get the money. So Mike goes to leave, and Connor comes running out with a note and says, hey, Dad said to give this to this dude that owns a club that, you, that owes money that you're going to go see. And there's no reason for Mike to look at this note. Mike never looks at these notes. <laughs> That's not his job. His job is to deliver the notes. Um, and so he, unfortunately, takes Connor at his word, goes to this club, and maybe my favorite scene in the entire movie happens. So good. The club owner has a gun. He knows this is a, a hitman coming and that he's late on money. He puts a magazine over the gun on the desk. And Mike comes in and hands the guy the note. Guy reads the note that says, kill Sullivan and all debts are paid. And he has the best reaction. Like, it's wordless. But he's, like, bemused at first. And then he looks at it again. He looks up at Mike, looks over at his henchman. And Mike is now confused and on alert. But there's also thumping jazz coming from the next room over. And Mike sees the magazine slowly vibrate and expose the barrel of the gun and puts two and two together. One of the things about this movie I love the most is how smart it shows Mike to be, often without words. Um, and he grabs the gun and kills both of those men um, before he himself can be killed. But now he's realized that the mob is after him. He doesn't know for sure that Connor is doing this on his own. For all he knows, Paul Newman is after him. So he races home. Well, Michael is late getting home from school because of that fight. He had to write on the chalkboard like Bart Simpson. Uh, so it was really a fortunate fight in the end. <clears throat> he comes home just in time to hear gunshots and another cool scene, Mendez really has the visuals on lock in this movie, where he sees Connor inside the house and thinks that Connor can see him, but Connor can't. And then he starts adjusting his hair in what is now a glass mirror from inside the house because of the light. Uh, and Michael's able to hide. And then Connor leaves. And then Mike comes home, finds his wife and child murdered. Um, can, can I ask you a quick question based on the way you told that? Uh, I understood it maybe a little bit differently. I oh, sure. Doesn't Connor see him on the porch? I, I, I feel like that the idea is that Connor thinks he killed Michael and that, that Peter's the one on the porch. He doesn't need to worry about Peter. Uh, well, now I'm going to have to Google after the show. I have always understood that to be him not seeing Michael. Huh. Um, that's interesting. Michael thinks, I could oh, be he wrong sees too. me, but then there's that moment of, oh no, he's just adjusting his hair in the in the glass. Uh, well, I, I thought he was aware of him on the porch, and I don't remember why I thought that, but maybe uh, that could just be something my mind did. So continue on, anyway. Well, no, I, I think that's an interesting point. Maybe the chat will chime in and let us know. I do know he thought he killed Michael. That's clear in the th through other statements in the rest of the yeah. The movie I believe that, so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, okay, so here we are. Let's see. Okay, so Mike grabs Michael, and they take off. Um, they leave. They don't even get to stay for the funeral because, hey, the mob killed your wife and kid. They're probably going to kill you too. Um, so he does the only thing he can do in his mind, and he drives straight to Chicago, uh, and he's going to see Mr. Nitty. You might as well be seeing Capone. Capone's not in the movie. But uh, history tells us that Nitty was Capone's right-hand man. And this is Stanley Tucci uh, giving a great performance, as he always does. Uh, but they make Mike wait <laughs> for hours and hours before they finally let him in to see. And this is, I think, to allow John and Connor Rooney to get there, uh, in part. Um, they let Mike in. Mike says, hey, you got to help me out here. I'm a good worker. Give me a job. And they're like, hey, we can't get involved. Uh, we can't help you. Um, and so Mike leaves, and it's implied that the heavies in the elevator are going to get him. Uh, and he slips out of the elevator at the last minute uh, and goes and retrieves his son and takes off. But we see that Connor uh, and John were both in the next room listening. Um, and Connor is like, they're in the building. Let's take him out now. And Paul Newman 
He loves Mike. He loves him more than he loves his own son. Uh, he does not want to kill him. Um, <clears throat> but after Connor is dismissed, uh, Nitty con convinces him, this is the only choice. You have to do this. And he's like, and the kid? And Paul Newman's like, Jesus, no. Like, oh, no. And he's like, one day the kid becomes a man. You think he won't remember? And he's like, not the kid. And of course, Nitty, who is technically his boss, I believe, yes. does what he believes to be the right thing anyway, um, and calls Jude Law, who has an awesome introduction scene and his own theme music. The Thomas Newman score is one of the reasons I adore this movie so, so much. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, and he's got that little theme with that pull focus shot under the train tracks where he's like, boom, 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 boom. And he photographs the dead. That's his job. And if they're not quite dead, as we see in his opening scene, he makes sure they're dead so that he can photograph the dead. On the side, he's a hitman for Capone's mafia. And so he is instructed over the phone about Mike Sullivan and the 12-year-old kid, and to go kill them. So uh, basically the next key scene is the diner, uh, the late-night diner. Uh, and Jude Law is on the scent of Mike because Mike had called back to talk to his wife's sister, his sister, I don't quite remember uh, that relationship, to ask how the funeral went. Jude Law had been lurking there at the wake and calls the operator and gets them to tell what the number was that just called back. So now he kind of knows where Mike was when he made that call. Um, and Mike stops at a diner, uh, and Michael doesn't want to eat. Thank God, Michael doesn't want to eat. Um, so Michael stays in the car, and Mike goes in to get some food. Um, and I do wish, as an aside, that I had lived in an era of these roadside diners in the middle of farm country nowhere, like the one in Looper, where you can go in and get bacon and eggs or a greasy burger, like... The, I think that would have been awesome. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Mike orders some food, and then Jude Law shows up, and uh, he's hungry. Um, he pulls in, looks around, doesn't see Michael in the back of that car because Michael has fallen asleep, slumped down. Jude Law comes in, has an odd exchange with the waitress, uh, and he's facing Mike Sullivan. <clears throat> and I don't know exactly the moment Mike figures out that this guy is here for him, but he does. Uh, and Jude Law is telling him the truth. I, I photographed the dead. Uh, then he lies and says, I don't kill them. I just photograph them. I'm a freelancer. Uh, <clears throat> but Mike realizes this guy's no good and starts drinking from a flask. Um, <clears throat> and then there's a bead of sweat that comes down his face that I'm convinced is stress. And, and Jude Law says, that stuff makes you sweat, huh? And he says, yeah, piss too. Where's the bathroom? And grabs a knife as he stands up. And Jude Law gets confused as a police officer leaves and comes back in. And he heard a car that he thought was the police officer leaving. But when the police officer comes back in, he turns and sees that Mike Sullivan is driving away. And he runs outside to find the knife in his own tire. And he starts shooting at the car. And then the cop comes out. Hey, buddy, what are you? He's dead. Um <clears throat> And, uh, of course, they get away because Jude Law has no tire. And now, uh, for one of the few lighter moments of the film, he has to teach Michael how to drive stick, <laughs> uh, how to drive, period, because he decides to steal from Capone, um, <clears throat> and only Capone. Uh, the first time we see him go into a bank, uh, he very clearly says to the guy, I only want the dirty money you're holding for Capone. If I read any headlines about some poor farmers losing their savings, I'm going to be very angry. Uh, and he walks outside <laughs> and the car is supposed to speed up and stop, but it's kind of like slowly inches into frame. <laughs> Tom Hanks is like, there's no rush. Uh, <clears throat> and then we see a series of robberies, uh, where he progressively gets a little better at the car driving, but not before either driving too far past or lurching the car. Uh, and it's a fun little father-son bonding montage. Uh, <clears throat> and then uh, we get another fun scene at a diner where the kid says, when do I get my share? Can I have, my, can I have a share of the money? And Mike is like, how much do you want? 
And Michael says, $200. And Mike's like, deal. And keeps eating. Uh, and after a couple seconds pass as Michael slowly realizes that was too easy. He goes, could I have had more? And Tom Hanks doesn't miss a beat. You'll never know. And keeps eating. Um, and then um, we get to a really uh, chaotic <clears throat> scene where he's going to the bookkeeper. Um, and the bookkeeper is Dylan Baker. Am I getting that name right? Uh, I should have the IMDb up, but I don't. This is good radio. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Dylan Baker. Anyway, um, Mike says, hey, if you see anything out here, you honk that horn, Michael. And uh, Jude Law, unbeknownst to him, is across the street um, keeping an eye on the bookkeeper's hotel room. And he eventually sees Mike in that suite and goes over, and we have a shootout um, that costs uh, Jude Law about half of his face. And um, Mike himself is shot, goes outside, and the kid doesn't know what to do, but he drives to a farm with an old couple who, thank God, they're really nice people and not mafia informants. <laughs> and they take them in, and they help stitch up Michael's wound and nurse him back to health. Uh, there's a really, I think, tragic conversation in this part of the movie where Michael asks, why did you love Peter more than me? Uh, and he's like, oh, I I didn't. I loved you both the same. And he was like, well, you didn't treat us both the same. Um, and I think it's a real realization for Mike's character in that moment that he probably has been harder on his oldest son than he was on his youngest um, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, but it starts a little bit more introspection for him, I think, and for the viewer. So once healed, they set out so that Mike can find John Rooney and talk to him, which he does, finds him in a church. And we get my second favorite scene in the whole movie uh, where they have a, a very good conversation in the basement of the church talking about morality and responsibility. Um, and essentially, neither one of them are going to heaven is the ultimate conclusion. John is just like, your, your hands are just as dirty as mine are. Uh, I believe the and, line is there are only murderers in this room. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Which is the prequel to Only Murders in the Building, but yeah, exactly. Um, and so it's clear at this point there's not going to be resolution, and you even see this defeat on both men's faces. And then we get to what I really meant was my favorite scene in the movie, <laughs> where John Rooney and his henchmen are walking through the rain at night out to their car. And it's eerily quiet and empty. And I love how they know something's wrong before they know what. <clears throat> and then the driver gets shot. And they're looking around. And then Tommy gun action out of the, out of the end of the alley. There's no, there's no score here. It, there, there's no audio, I mean. There's, like, we're not hearing the rat -a -tat, -a -tat, -a tat 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 We're just seeing silently as the bodies fall. And then the last one standing is John. And he says to Mike, I'm glad it was you which is sad, but <laughs> so sad, but he means it. He means it. At this point, if I have to die, I'm glad it's somebody I love who's killing me. Um, and then uh, he gets permission, finally, from Nitty, uh, who reveals the location of Connor and goes and shoots Connor in the bathtub. Again, Mendez with the rad visuals of the mirror door banging against the wall and then creaking back to show us the wrath, the aftermath of the of the shooting, and then they escape. They get to the beach house, the relative's beach house up in northern Indiana. Um, I think this is probably like Indiana dunes before they were turned into a, like a state park or whatever. Um, and the kid and the dog are running along the beach, and Mike goes into the house and is standing at the window looking out, and he's shot by Jude Law. Um, and Jude Law gets the camera ready as Mike Law is dying, and he's shot by Michael, who, who has now completed the circle and become his father. Um, and that's the end of the movie. And wait, wait, that's that. No, Michael doesn't. Young Michael doesn't shoot him. His dad shoots him. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. No. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Because um, he doesn't. Yeah. The, the idea is that he saved his son from becoming he him. saved his son from becoming. Yes. His, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no, my no, notes. No. <laughs> I wrote the notes too vaguely because there's Mike and Michael and uh, right, all right. throughout the yeah, whole yeah. thing. Um, 
So apologies, everybody. Um, but no, I, I just thought for a second I had really misunderstood the end of this movie. Yes, yeah, sorry, everybody. Uh, Michael shoots Jude Law, but I still think, or Mike shoots Jude Law. Right. <laughs> Michael, I still think his future is probably questionable. Well, um, and that's and that's part of the beauty of the end of the movie is to consider if his dad taking that shot saved him from being a murderer or if the entire situation it was too late if if generational trauma is uh, as unavoidable as the next wave on the sand of the the ocean you know like that's that's what the the movie is asking us to ask in boy do you know how i love a movie that asks us to ask questions after it's over so well and um, it, it opens with the a big question maybe the movie's biggest question where the kid is narrating and saying some people say my dad was a good man who did some bad things. Some right. people say there was no good in him at all. Um, and then we go back to tell the story. And I think the kid sees good in his dad by the end. Um, that's his conclusion. I think it's meant to be our conclusion too, uh, that Mike certainly regrets having gotten into this life in the first place, and he certainly can't get out of it. Um, but he does make good choices at the end, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, at least in the view of his son. Um, yeah. And he said, yeah, the, the chat is reminding me, Michael's narration says, that's the last time I ever held a gun. Um, and that's optimistic. That's one way. I, I mean, that's one way to murder people. It doesn't mean... Yeah, it doesn't say, mean that <laughs> does not mean that he does not get caught up in also, life. Also, I'm going to say his narration sounds like maybe the same year. So, yeah. like, he's, got yeah. a lot of, he's still got a lot of life he's gonna, ahead he's of him. He's going to grow. Uh, that actor, Tyler Hodgson, is now Superman on... Uh, Superman and Lois. Yeah, I know. I, I like is. the the Flash. Uh, that's on the in the the Arrowverse. Okay, but specifically, uh, Supergirl and the Flash shows had a lot of Tyler Tyler uh, Hawkland in them as, as Superman. And I was watching the movie uh, again, and I was like, oh, I, why why all of a sudden does his face look familiar? You, and you can see it. Like it's the it's the same actor, and he's really good in this, especially really for good. as young as he is. He yeah. has to put. The movie on his back really and, mm -hmm. and he doesn't get much dialogue because he's a 12 year old boy dealing with trauma um and he, he's amazing uh, i saw him in something else a few years back about bodybuilders he was playing one of the first bodybuilders mm. uh, and he wasn't as good in that as i think he is in road to perdition but i haven't seen the superman stuff uh but everyone here nails the performances um let's hear uh any more of aaron's thoughts now that we cleared up jeremy's uh erroneous uh explanation of the ending well i have to start off with an apology uh an apology to those who really enjoy the audience questions at the end because there's no possible way we're getting to them i have way <laughs> too much to say about this this movie we're probably going three hours without audience questions um <laughs> Uh, this, this movie is brilliant and mm -hmm. you touched on many of the reasons why, and, uh, I'm going to touch on a few others. And by the end of it, uh, I really feel like this movie goes to extra effort in every area of filmmaking you can. Mm -hmm. And what I mean mm -hmm. by that is uh, the motifs in this movie are next level. There's some stuff going on that connects uh, water to death mm -hmm. uh, from the moment we see the, the ice dripping into uh, a bucket at the funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, from that moment on, anytime there's a big death in the movie, it is connected not only to water, but the sounds of water in mm -hmm. one way or another. Um, most notably so at the end with the waves crashing uh, on the ocean as we're seeing what's going on. Um, it is, uh, it, it's really just brilliant, subtle, almost subliminal kind of stuff. And there's something there about the idea of the persistence of water, the idea of how it, it, it just drips, but it's still doing something and it keeps going and drips become waves. Uh, you'll remember in the big shootout, uh, which isn't really a shootout as much as it is Mike just mowing down a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, it is pouring rain in that scene and mm. it is very specifically showing the water dripping off of his hat, um, you know, the the scene uh, where his uh, wife and kid get killed is after a bath and you can hear the bathtub dripping uh, when that is happening. And the scene of the murder of Connor also happens in a bath, in a bath and you, you hear the water there. Like those kind of things to me 
are the next level of making movies and telling stories and doing those uh, kind of things. Um, and the fact that you, that water has this beautiful thematic place to play about persistence, also about cleansing. You know, I don't think it's an accident that there are bathtubs involved in those scenes because water is is a cleanser in our lives. Mm. Um, and the fact that he that's a major theme in the movie. He walks into this completely pristine white room at the end that almost feels like heaven, mm. even though the movie is going to tell us very clearly it's hell, which is what perdition means, by the way. Yes. The, you know, it is the road to hell, and I don't think it's any accident that it looks like heaven when he when he walks in. Um, and just stuff like that, uh, I I think are beautiful. Somebody in the in the chat mentioned how many two handers there are in this movie. Um, in how good every single one of them is uh, in in the tension involved. There's also this beautiful use of ambient sound during mm. all of the big tension scenes. So, for instance, you you mentioned how the cutting of the ambient sound during the um, the the mow down scene, yeah. which is really really powerful. But if you look back at some of the other tension scenes, you've got a stock ticker that is loud and annoying and serves a plot purpose as well because it keeps him from hearing his son honking the horn, which is yep. also something we hear in that scene. And so the tension is built by almost this like jackhammer, uh, you know, kind of thing going on uh, in that scene. And it's, uh, it's really, really powerful. Um, the way that uh, Mike, the father, is shot from Michael's point of view is so cool and powerful. The first time uh, I noticed it was when he is uh, peeping through at the the first murders of when they go visit the guys after the funeral. And it's just his dad's legs yeah, just like standing there. It's like this giant man has entered that like he's Godzilla or something. Yeah. And like the movie shoots him from Michael's perspective as this giant and just kind of goes into how kids see their parents, specifically boys and fathers or whatever it might be, as these giants that they're trying to figure out, almost these creatures that they, you know, are trying Compared to understand. Compared to how he sees him at the very end, slumped on the floor, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> like he's not a giant anymore. Correct, and that is intentional. There are some shots from the backseat of the vehicle where that are such an extreme up angle that it yep. just looks like Tom Hanks head is just the entirety of the screen. Like I just, I love the way he shoots this movie. There's, there's even just a tiny little, he's walking under the L in Chicago and he uses just this, just this very slight dolly yep. zoom yep. that, you know, the Hitchcock shot, the vertigo shot, the jaw yep. shot, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's, but it's not how it's usually used, like to like really kind of, you know, pull the the background and the foreground. It's just a slight pulling of the background and the foreground. It's just and it creates this like uneasiness instead of this drama. And it's just a really interesting use of that. I just I, I watch this movie and every time I watch it, I pick up something new, um, you know, uh, whether it be the bathtub symmetry. Uh, you know, that's going on here uh, with the with the two deaths. Um, you know, it's just there's always something that I'm going, man, that's really smart and also serves the story. Um, we haven't even we I, we haven't even talked about how efficient this movie is. Mm -hmm. This movie is so efficient. Like at the beginning, I'm so, I'm sorry. I love this movie too much. Nope. I know I'm taking I'm up so, all the time. I'm so glad to hear somebody else <laughs> raving about it like this. <laughs> The beginning of this movie, we get to where we're going so quickly, and yet we feel everything we need to feel, right? You mentioned the piano duet. Mm -hmm. It's this beautiful little thing that tells us almost everything we need to know yep. about that relationship. Um, he comes home, and they throw a few snowballs at each other, and then he hides his pipe as his dad pulls in, and we are learning so much in these little things about this family and how they relate to each other. Um, it's just, uh, I just, I love how those little moments can do so much of the heavy lifting of the exposition, of the emotion, of everything we need to know. Um, I, I really, really uh, enjoy it. It's almost enough to make me forget how bad Daniel Craig's accent is. Al almost enough <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to I... get over that. 
I don't have a problem with that so much. I mean, I think he's gotten a lot better. Um, this is very early in his career. Mm -hmm. This is like pre James Bond and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just love all the father son stuff. There's like, you know, he has a father son relationship with Michael. He has a father son relationship with John. Mm -hmm. John has a father son relationship with Connor. Um, and I feel like John and Mike's father son relationship is the strongest in the movie. And they're not even related by blood. Well, you said something very interesting that I wanted to go back to. You said he loves Mike more than he loves Connor. And I think that's a really interesting discussion because it depends on how you see love. Mm. Because he chooses Connor in a practical way, right? He, but he doesn't dies want to. for Connor. No, he doesn't. So that's what I'm saying. He beats how Connor. And I says, know. I curse the day you were born. I know. So <laughs> this is what I'm saying. There's an interesting philosophical debate about do you place more on the emotions in the feelings of love or do you place more <clears throat> on the ultimate decisions? Because his ultimate decisions favored Connor. Now, what that was, wasn't necessarily love for Connor as much as it is love for how things are supposed to be or you know what the tradition Self -preservation. is. Self-preservation. <clears throat> I think he chooses the mafia. If he did, if he, it's not self-preservation though, because if it was self-preservation, he could still be alive. He could have given up Connor, and he'd be around. But Mike, not, not, I don't mean self-self. I mean my entity self, preserving the mafia, the lifestyle. The mm -hmm. it, I think if he makes the other choice, he's choosing. I don't know. Just I just feel like there's so many, much more implication. If he if he were to choose Mike over Connor, and he just shows so much disdain for Connor, the whole movie it just feels to me again. Ten years ten years from now, I may have a completely different understanding of love. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like love is shown in everyday interactions as well as mm -hmm. decisions we make. Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't show Connor any love personally that we see, um, but he shows Mike plenty. Um, and so that's why I think he loves Mike. I'm not, notice I did not say he doesn't love Connor. Correct. Just that he loves Mike more than he loves Connor mm -hmm. because Mike was everything that the mob boss's son is supposed to be. Uh, and the real son is everything on the opposite end of that spectrum. Um, I think by the end of the movie, um, the relationship between Mike and Michael has improved dramatically. Uh, a lot of that just comes from what they've been through, as well as Michael having to grow up 10 extra years in the span of a week or two. Um, but overall, I feel like John and Mike had the strongest father-son relationship in the movie. Yeah, it's, uh, it, is, it is interesting to think about. And that, again, is why a movie like this is always going to flip my switch more than a movie that just makes everything plain. And there is no nuance. There is mm -hmm. no, I mean, even just the nuance of a clear murderer, a clear killer mm -hmm. being someone the movie wants us to take a deeper look at. Like, that is, you know, the point of this movie and... On a, on a scaled level, I think it's asking us to look at our own relationships, whether it be father, son, or whatever, and go, how do we assess other people's value morally? How do we, how do we assess, are you a good person or a bad person? Right. And how are we all not products of so many different things? And how are our choices not products of so many different things that happen in our life? And the ability to give the nuance to go, I see you as a human, not as just the uh, the some parts of your you know your moral choices. Um, is I'm always going to prefer that over here are the white hats and here are the black hats and you know it's high noon and like I you know I mean other than wives and children, there's no good people in this movie that we're that we're being shown which right. they're all killers but we get a variety of types right jude law is one end of the expect spectrum he loves it mm -hmm. he enjoys it right and then we He's got psychotic. mike the, yeah in, yeah mike does it as a function of job uh and connor does it 
for fun sometimes and also for self-preservation because he was stealing the money i think connor's just a spoiled brat i think he's a nepo baby like i think like that's the idea the idea is that he's he doesn't he's never had to you know work for anything in his life or earned anything yeah 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 anyway yeah it's a it's a great discussion movie and we could go another hour but and we, we will because get... I have more. So, uh, so uh, here is <laughs> just one, just one more thing. Uh, I love the moment, it, probably the biggest laugh in the movie, where the the younger brother says, learns the uh, uh, to drop an f bomb and says it's so effing ridiculous, uh, just as copying what Connor had told him. <laughs> we laughed so hard, and and I want this is the other thing I wanted to mention. I say we. Um, it was so sweet. Uh, one of my sons yesterday was like, hey, dad, you want to watch a movie together for Father's Day? Oh, and I was like, I have the perfect Father's Day movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And somebody had said in the chat earlier, if if we had picked this because of Father's Day and uh, that was just a happy accident um, that this movie happens to be all about fathers. And yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, we do need to get to the super secret double feature. Let's do it. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. And uh, that is on Aaron's plate this week. So uh, yeah. I've seen some suggestions in the chat or some guesses. What do we got? Have you? What are some of the guesses? Tell me some of the guesses because I, I, oh, I'm on John them. Wick right now. Ooh, um, interesting. Um, a, a history I of violence. Logan, a Bronx tale. Okay. Okay. I I didn't think of any of those. Uh, History of violence is a really interesting one. Um, I did think of the opposite side of this coin and maybe going like, um, uh, I'm I'm wise. This always happens to me. No country for old men comes to my brain, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. Uh, it's the Daniel Day Lewis one. Um, The oil. There will be blood. There will. Thank you. There will be blood. They literally filmed. I know those from two, each other. And, and, I pop, yeah. and my brain just does that. It's a thing my brain does. It won't think of the other one. So th- there will be blood. I thought of that as kind of the other side of, you know, this coin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've abandoned my boy. Um, but I went with one that I'd be very, very surprised if anybody predicted. Um, I went with Leave No Trace. Um, this is an interesting movie that really fall, follows many of the same themes that we're dealing with in Road to Perdition in a completely different avenue. Mm. Uh, it is about a father who is trying to take care of a daughter, in this case, not a son. And it is about her view of him as he struggles uh, with the consequences of being a veteran and the consequences of going to war. And those consequences have led him to live a life completely secluded from uh, society, living in the woods, uh, living without a home, uh, and they are both doing that. And there's some really interesting corollaries between how she interacts with him and the way her perspective of him changes through the movie or evolves there are some really interesting themes uh dealing with the nuance of what it means to be a good parent what it means to be a good person um a bad person and uh and i it i'm not to spoil anything but there are some similarities in in how it progresses towards the end uh (laughs) as well so um if you've never seen leave no trace i highly recommend it it's ben foster who's amazing love him um <laughs> and thomas and mckenzie who's incredible and mm-hmm. everything i've i've seen her in um and it's from 2018 not sure necessarily where it's streaming i think it's on netflix if i'm reading that correctly yep um but uh but yeah leave no trace is uh, my super secret looks like feature. that was uh based on a book uh that is a true story mm-hmm. so, interesting i believe so all right, I have not seen this movie. I'm very intrigued, but from my quick googling, it does look like you have chosen wisely on the double feature uh, in terms of themes and whatnot. Nice. Uh, all right, let's get to homework before everybody breaks for lunch. What is next <laughs> week's movie for the big recommend, Mr. Dicer? All right, so this is a movie uh, that is a kind of one of those interesting exploration documentaries. Um, Uh, It is a movie that comes to us from uh, Penn & Teller. Uh, They produced it. It is a movie about how science and art 
Interact. Uh, it just made its debut on Hulu recently, which is why it's on my brain. It's from 2013. It's a movie called Tim's Vermeer. And hmm. this is a beautiful film about, and I think it's even more applicable right now as we start to think about AI and, you know, what can science create art? This movie very specifically asks that question and the answers it gives, I find very, very interesting. Um, to sum up the plot, uh, just kind of what you're in store for, uh, a man tries to determine if, uh, if Vermeer, the famous painter, may have used technology to paint instead of just painting with his eyes. Um, and so that's kind of the baseline. It goes from there. Um, hmm. And I think uh, you'll really, really enjoy it. So that well, is, I had uh, a friend that several years ago figured out how to plug a bunch of Excel spreadsheet numbers into a formula that created tones. Mm. And he, I went to a, a performance. He was just playing the, the tracks from his computer. And that I don't know that I would call it music um but it was fascinating i was i was listening to math um create you know noise i don't know it was mm -hmm. very interesting though uh but I, I the premise of this one is, is intriguing and i have not seen it so it is definitely uh, it's definitely in all our brains right now with people talking about ai, AI writing scripts yep. or whatever you want to call it. it's not technically ai it's you know whatever um uh, it is, what do they but, call it? Machine learning? Machine, <laughs> yes, machine learning. Um, but yeah, but it's an, it's an interesting thought. And, uh, and I look forward to uh, the discussion of the movie and some of the things it talks about. Excellent. Now, do we have, uh, what time and day are we doing next week for the people here who are live? Great question. Um, uh, stay tuned to your usual places, but the goal right now is to do a later show uh, next week that will either be Wednesday or Thursday of the following week, depending on, uh, the turnaround on the, uh, getting the episode up. So it'll be later in the week next week. Um, and we'll let you know in places like discord, or but I would, I would plan on Thursday if that works, that, that seems the most likely. So, all right, everybody, thanks for coming out in the chat. We always value your input, uh, and your presence. And, uh, thank you to Aaron. Next week's homework is Tim's Vermeer on Hulu. And that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the Cinemasins Discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or Cinemasins Twitter at cinemasins. And email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at cinemasins.com. Howdy. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think if if superheroes would re were real, like what what would be the cutoff for like city needs a superhero? Like where what's the populate? Like what city is it that's just like right on the border? Yeah, do, and do you, wouldn't you wouldn't you see like a decreasing power the smaller your city, right? So like Green Bay probably has a superhero, but his power is probably like really good memory. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I wonder what happens if I type Gary Indiana into Google. Will it, will it give me the music man or will it give me the city? Gary the Indiana, city. Gary Indiana. Wow, that's big. 68,000 people. I didn't realize it was that big of a city. The city of Gary. Yeah, so it sounds like a lot like Anderson, actually. You know, Anderson was an automotive town. Um, and I lived there for six years, and uh, but uh, all the plants shut down. And so half the town was ghost town everywhere you went because businesses and homes were just empty. Uh, and this says the same thing happened in Gary with manufacturing industry. Yeah. I mean, that's Detroit, right? Like Detroit's having a little bit of a renaissance yeah. right now. They're kind of figuring it out and what, what their new normal is going to be. But man, the automotive industry just tanked oh, there yeah. and it killed the city. Just killed it. I went it. there in college with my girlfriend 
who you knew <clears throat> and mm -hmm. spent a day downtown in Detroit and I could not stop for weeks I was talking about how empty it was mm -hmm. like skyscrapers everywhere people nowhere it was <laughs> ghost town it is yeah I mean we went to Detroit when I was in sixth grade um we took a class trip to Detroit uh we went to a Tigers game at the old Tigers stadium which was it just I remember that felt massive I don't know if it really was that big but it felt it was a big stadium it was also a terrible stadium but it was a big oh, yes. stadium it was it was empty we sat in, in the um left field bleachers and heckled kurt gibson the whole game um <laughs> but there was it was a lot more vibrant of a city then than you know 15 years later when i would go and call it i like how our outtakes are always i mean you never know what you're gonna get not to force gump it but you know we might be talking about deep political discourse or the slow decay of cities after an industry leaves <laughs> it behind well i mean uh, even i mean even as of recently you've got barbarian right like the movie barbarian is basically about how abandoned detroit is and it's yeah. a detroit movie like um you know there's some detroit commentary in there but uh but yeah it's it's wild how the exodus went from that area um and Michigan in general, Michigan in general, people just like, I mean, if I'm not going to make money here, I'm certainly not going to live in the cold. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm a Michigan guy. Like I, I was born and raised there, right? Like I, I, you know, uh, I, I live and breathe that state in many ways. Uh, but I don't like the cold. Mi no. There's there like, if, if there, if transporter technology existed or teleportation existed, Mm -hmm. I'd spend a lot of time in areas like Michigan specifically during the summer. M Michigan summers are the best. Like, you know, it's in the 70s. It's sunny. It's, you know, the beautiful lakes. Like, it's it's a really beautiful area. But for, you know, nine months out of the year, it's, it's nigh unlivable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Chicago is not too different no it's not like, much different at all it's it's on that same line chicago's yeah. got so much to do and see and mm -hmm. i love that city but I, you take cold and then you go into chicago where if you've never been there the the wind effect is not like exaggerated it's oh, not no. a joke they yeah. call it the windy city for very very good reason and it takes cold 20 or 30 degrees colder than it should be um and i'm just like yeah you you, you have seven eight cold months and then a handful of warmish ones. Mm -hmm. um, and, well, like and the sun goes away during the winter. <laughs> it's it's wild. That was the first thing I noticed when we moved south. I'd say south to Missouri, like Missouri's in this, you know, the, the deep <laughs> south or something. Is that the sun comes out in the winter? Like it's kind of yeah. cold. Like it'll get down to like you know 30, 40 degrees on occasion. But like it's the sun comes out, and I'm just like, well, this is great. I'll take you know 35 and sunny. That's amazing. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.